Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would with Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. As I pondered these words, I recalled an occasion when my children were very young. One of them came to me asking, Daddy, what is a vice president? I immediately suspected that the question had arisen out of one of those children's conversations about how my daddy is bigger than your daddy or stronger or more important than your daddy. Later, as I look back on their question and my answer, I recognize that our conversation was one of those divinely arranged moments because while the question might have had some importance to my child, even more so, it enabled me to think through that question. And I knew that if I got it right, really right, an answer that God would agree with, then it would help me greatly. Now my fading memory keeps me from remembering the exact words of my answers. But essentially, and using language that I hoped uh, he would understand, I said to him, well, a vice president is a person with certain responsibilities and authority. And while, yes, it sometimes puts one person in authority over another, it does not make the vice president any better than the one who works for him. Simply put, it is just one of many jobs that men and women do. Now, I don't know if my son really understood my intended answer, but that conversation has been a lasting memory for me. It gave me opportunity to think through what it means to have those responsibilities and to have authority over other people. And it's helped me through many of the circumstances that have taken place with me and my fellow workers. Now again, essentially, the positions of authority that many of us are cast into, they are simply functional in nature. And they are needful for the completion of jobs. Titles do not define the person who's in the position of authority, and neither does it define the one who works for that one in authority. They are simply a necessary requirement for the fulfillment of the job. May I pause here in these thoughts about the employer's position, and I'd like for us to revisit for a moment some of the things of the message last week about the worker and how he or she responds to that authority of that vice president or supervisor or owner or boss. Now in that message last week we urged great care in the manner that workers conducted themselves while they were engaged in their daily employment. Always being diligent to work hard. 
rendering service with goodwill and a cheerful heart. That's what these scriptures we just read tell us. Rendering their service with goodwill and a cheerful heart as they give a good account of themselves to their employer. And we noted that within these verses of scripture, God equates the diligence and the honor and the respect that each worker shows to his employer to be the same as he would show to Christ himself. The same manner and the same substance that he would show to Christ. Now that might seem a bit overstated, but it's really not. May I read those words for us again? And notice here how many times that God instructs the worker to have the same manner and ethic that he would for Christ himself. Listen to these words. Bondservants, workers, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Are you noticing how many references that God is giving us in the manner that we work for men to equate to that of working for God? Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Our reward is from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. And then on in verse 9, God adds the employer into this equation of the workplace. Here God tells the employer, now employers, masters, do the same to them, the workers, and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. These words are plain and clear. They're saying that just as God holds the behavior of the worker accountable back to himself personally, so also does he hold the employer accountable for himself, for his or her behavior back to himself, personally. And may I also make the same observation that I made last week regarding these matters of employment, that most Christians, most of us Christians, leave our Christianity at the church. But this relationship of us as workers to our workplace and workers to their employers, it is a utmost importance to God himself. And we need to realize that. God is making it ever so clear and plain to us that these words are giving us emphasis. He's saying them five different times, five separate occasions. He's saying that our work for our employer is accountable back to him. Whatever we do or we don't do, whatever we should do or shouldn't do, all of it is accountable back to God himself. And because God here tells us that the same requirements stand for both the worker and his boss, I want to go ahead and paraphrase these verses as I did last week for the workers. I want to paraphrase it for the employers. Listen to this. The words that I just read from Scripture paraphrased. Employers, bosses, supervisors, be obedient to God in your treatment of your workers with fear and trembling, 
in the sincerity of your heart, just as you would be towards Christ himself, doing the will of God with all of your heart. An employer, do not render your service as a supervisor of your employees grudgingly and in a harsh manner, threatening them to get them to do work. But be of goodwill and a cheerful heart towards your employees as you supervise them, just as you would do if you were working directly with Christ himself. Because in fact, you truly are working directly with Christ, and it is Christ who will reward you for your service. Now I realize that I've taken some liberties there in paraphrasing those words, but it sure does seem that this verse 9 is saying exactly this. It's the same rules applying to both the employer as applies to the employee, the workers. Listen again. Masters, employers, bosses, supervisors, do the same to them, the same, the same as he has just been saying in verses 5 through 8, that the employee is supposed to do, the employer is supposed to do the same to them, the workers. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. These words picture God in the heavenlies. Now, the heavenlies are all around us. It's not as if God is sitting up there somewhere at a distance that we have to get his attention. No, he's right here amongst us. He's all around us, and He is observing all that we do, whether we be an employer or an employee. And as He looks upon His children, there truly is no partiality, whether we be the employer or the employee. Both are equal in His sight. But what then is our problem? Why do we have such difficulty with the simplest of things as it regards our employment? Sadly, The answer is what we discussed last week in the message about the employee. It is the same problem with the employer as with the employee. The employer is faced with the same temptations, the same inclinations and desires for self. And just as with his employees, the employer's pride, their ego, and that ever-present demand for their claim to their right to their self, enters into everything that they do. Too often in the heat of daily stress in the workplace, obedience, obedience to what we know to be true, to God's guidance, it suffers loss. And he forgets that the title vice president does not give him or her license to be unkind. That the job of vice president is simply one of many jobs within that business and it carries with it no special privilege to be unkind or unreasonable. I identify with all of this personally that during those daily encounters with stress, the boundaries of pride and ego and the boss's claim to his right to himself really get tested. It's because... Why? It's because that boss has power. He has a power that that employee doesn't have. And he has intimidation at his fingertips. And it's ever so tempting to use that power and that intimidation in haste or in anger or just foolishly. Folks, listen. Power within the hands of an angry man 
or within the hands of a fool as a recipe for destructive conditions. And sadly, those are real and present circumstances in so many of our ordinary workplaces. Here in verse 9, the Lord addresses this problem head on by warning the employer to not be threatening, not trying to intimidate the workers in order to get them to do more work. Verse 9, employers, bosses, supervisors, masters, do the same to them, the workers, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. There's a strange and corrupt inclination within the hearts of most men and women who occupy this role of owner or supervisor or boss. It's this thought that if I just raise my voice just a little bit louder, if I berate or shame or coerce a worker, perhaps just a little bit more, then that worker will magically begin to do more work. That will never be so. That will never be so. And may I add, it is especially not going to be able to work if the employer is a Christian man or a Christian woman who desires to do the will of God. God will not permit us to be successful as we go about deliberately violating all that He says to us. Listen to the words of James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And listen to these words. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God will not bless our sin. So we can't expect to be successful if we go against all that He says. And also I can personally identify with the whole range of emotions that course through the heart and the mind of a supervisor. I was very young and inexperienced when I was first cast into the role of a supervisor. And to make matters more difficult in those first days of my being a boss, I was not a believer. So I had only my own wits to guide me in my behaviors. Thankfully, even as an unbeliever, I was not given to yelling or threatening or belittling workers to get them to do more work. But I did often use other means that were probably just as unkind. Just as unkind. I tended to lecture. And over-lecturing can be just as discouraging to a worker as berating and belittling. And I do wish very much that I had not done those things. I recall them well. And I wish that I had not done them. It was after I became a Christian and began to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, both through these scriptures and also through unctions from His still small voice that take place all during your work day. Ones that I had come to depend on, that my methods began to change. And a special verse in Hebrews encouraging others on to love and good works it started to mean something to me. And I did begin to change. Now I did, yes, too often fall back on my old ways. And I wish I hadn't have done that. But thankfully, God is faithful to His Word and He always gives each of us and He would give to me those convincing little nudges 
within my spirit to stop me before I made too much of a mess out of things. But there were lots of difficulties, as y'all who have been in management might know. Probably the most difficult of circumstances that I had to engage in as a boss involved making hard decisions that I knew would surely hurt my fellow workers, but still needed to be made. And those occasions took place far more often than I would like to remember. I'm speaking about times when a worker, often a very good friend, was simply not able to do the work that was given to them. Sometimes not only not doing their work well, but it would also be causing problems for other workers and other people around them. Perhaps even some of the kids at French Camp or back when I was a banker, perhaps our customers. But it was especially so in our ministry there with those adolescents and teens at French Camp. It's an easy thing, as most of us know, to get angry and frustrated at teenagers. But the acting out of that anger and frustration on the part of a staff member can't really be permitted to continue. Instruction and guidance must be given to them. And if that instruction and that guidance is not followed, sometimes then those workers needed to be removed from their position. Again, many of those would be my friends, personal friends. Now thankfully, in most all of those circumstances, the worker, being Christian, already knew they couldn't continue with their behavior of anger and frustration. But the decisions that had to be made by the bosses still broke that fellow worker's heart. And may I say it also broke the hearts of the bosses. Our hearts were broken every time. In all cases, we have the character of Christ given to us in these scriptures to help us model our behavior and our response as those supervisors. Jesus was never frustrated or angry in the manner that he behaved. Contrary to the things that are often preached about Jesus being angry, such as with the money changers and such there in the temple, his anger, that anger, was a whole other kind of anger. Jesus was never frustrated or angry in the manner that you and I experience. Yes, he probably did come close as he would weep over his dear children and he wanted to cover them over as a mother hen would cover over her and protect her children. But he never demonstrated the kind of anger and frustration that is common to you and me. Jesus was a gentle servant leader. He led by serving. And without any exception, he was by far the greatest leader that this world has ever known and ever will know. Never yelling at his disciples, never threatening them, he went about building a kingdom of followers, and he does it today without intimidation, without threatening. Is building a kingdom of followers that will do anything for him, even unto death. Working at French camp where all of our staff members were strong believers in Christ, I confess that I enjoyed a very special privilege as a supervisor. Thankfully, we were all generally somewhat at least on the same page in our understanding, and it made my job relatively easy. 
But such is not the case in most all of our secular workplaces, and I recognize that. Some of those workers that we work with are believers in Christ, but others aren't. But listen, regardless of the condition of their soul before the Lord, we as devoted Christian supervisors and bosses must always treat an unbelieving worker just as kindly and as fairly as we do our fellow believers. That's very important. It's very important to God. Again, these scriptures are clear and plain in their instruction to us. With God, there is no partiality. The same must be true with believing employees and unbelieving. And it must be true for you and me and our hearts as we would supervise them. Yes, we will obviously find some of the words that we say to be somewhat different if we're addressing an unbeliever. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit within an unbeliever's soul, they have no real concept of Christian values. And their worldview might be very frustrating or probably will be very frustrating to us. But God equips each of us to do the jobs that He calls us into. And when God calls you or me to be a supervisor or a boss, He will be faithful to give us the things that we're going to need to be able to say at those special moments. And for that reason, you and I are without excuse. We can do exactly as these words instruct. Supervisors, do the same for them, the workers. Treat them the same and stop your threatening knowing that He who is both their Master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with Him. Folks, by far the best standards of good behavior ever given to man are contained here within these Scriptures. And I encourage each of us to know these standards well and to always be careful to listen for that quiet unction of the Holy Spirit as we go about the duties of our workplace. And if we be supervisors, employers, or we be a worker, the same words from God apply. And I'll close with these words from Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, with all your heart, from the soul, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. May I just add that verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That's not a worker's portion. That is a son and a daughter's portion. We inherit from our father the whole ownership of his kingdom, his estate. It's a special, special word for us as believers. So knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Let's pray.